you know, it's amazing when you're doing devotions and you're in the Word, you know, the, the Spirit of God can grasp a hold of something and say, there's something here you need to see. And uh, so that's what I want to talk about today, what the Spirit of God I felt wanted to conclude our series on faith forward. We've been in this faith forward series for quite some time, about eight weeks. And I thought this was uh, a great message that the Lord wanted to conclude on. The message today is called Truth on Trial. And that'll make sense in just a few minutes. We've been talking about faith and how important faith is in your life and my life through this series. We found out at the beginning that we are saved by grace through faith. We're saved. And uh, how many know that's pretty cool? That faith is what saves you. It's not actually your, your works. It's not what you do to deserve it. You don't earn it in and of yourself. You earn it because God has said, if you will take it, it's yours to have, which is phenomenal. Amen? We receive the promises of God by faith. The mic's a little bit hot. If we can just uh, get that sorted out, that'd be great. Uh, we receive all the promises of God by faith. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, So no matter how many promises of God has made, they are yes in Christ, and through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So all the promises of God are, are, are received by faith. Amen? That's pretty good. Uh, we live the abundant life by faith. This is getting better and better. Faith seems to be very important. Listen to what it says in Romans 1.17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We overcome the world by faith. The Bible actually says that. You know, it's from faith to faith that we live, but we overcome the world. Now listen to me. It's not that we overcome the world and call the world to, to bow down before us. What we do is we overcome the world's influence upon us. That's actually what we overcome. And uh, everybody's a free entity to do whatever they want. But I'm telling you, if you will invite the Spirit of God into your life, He gives you the power to say no to the things that are actually going to rob, kill, and destroy you. We bring pleasure to God by faith. So faith seems pretty important, doesn't it? Amen? And, uh, you know, faith, this thing, this thing we're talking about, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom that is visible through your lives. That is visible through God's action and activity in the universe. That is visible through God's action and activity around you. And if you have eyes to see it, you can. And so faith becomes this critically important thing that we're putting our, our life and our support on. Faith kind of is like a foundation, if you want to understand it that way. Truth is the foundation that we can rest upon it and put our life upon. We're going to get there in just a second. You know, we've been talking about the importance of certain things as we've gone through this series. Last week, Pastor Tyler talked about the importance of church. Just church. And that, uh, I love one of the lines he had in his sermon. I love the whole sermon, but one of the lines really hit me. And it was, uh, you know, church is for you, but it's not all about you. That, that's a good line, Pastor Tyler. I was like, I, I dropped the mic. I stopped listening after that. No, no, I, I still listened, but it was good. That, that's a good one. You know, you're, it's important that you're in the house of God because it's bigger than you. 
you are influencing other hearts and lives by being here. Amen? We talked about service and being on purpose, and we celebrated Mei Ling Shen uh, and uh, the, her years of service in the Christian school. And uh, that was a great service, but it called us to live on purpose with our gifts. We talked about leadership in your life. And, um, you know, every single one of you is a leader. Every single one of you has what the Bible calls a metron, a a sphere of influence. And uh, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Do you understand? This is part of what we do when we worship. Uh, It's part of what we do when we offer thanksgiving to God. It's part of what we do when we submit to God. He He fills us with his spirit. And actually what occurs when that happens is I become a better form of myself. Amen. We got one person that knows and agrees with that. There's a better form of Greg Fraser shows up when the spirit of God is living in through him. That's true of all of our lives. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a business person. It doesn't matter if you're a housewife. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, whatever. If you're a mailman, a garbage man, it doesn't matter. God saying, I want to bring that better nature within you, out of you, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been talking about this faith forward motion that God wants for our life. Faith is this critical element that you and I live by. But understand the truth is the foundation that we build our life upon. This is why this is the last message. Because if you understand this, it doesn't matter what you apply it to. If you get that the foundation of your faith, what you put your faith in, is what you build upon, and if that foundation is faulty, how many of you know you're going to crumble? And so it's very important Truth becomes critical, and today truth is on trial. (laughs) It's on trial in our world, but today you and I are the judges that decide the verdict. Let's pray and see what that means. Heavenly Father, thank you for faith. Thank you for trust. Thank you that you are trustworthy. I pray your blessing on this message. Eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear, hearts to receive and to respond to you, Father. We are desperate to meet with you today. We know that you'll meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why does truth matter? Why does truth matter? You know, as we talked about, truth is the foundation on which we build our life because faith, listen to me carefully, Faith is objective. It's not subjective. It's objective. So in other words, uh, what you place your faith in and upon is the object of that faith. Does that make sense? Now, every single one of you, let me give you an illustration, uh, exercised faith when you came into this room. You actually went faith forward today, whether you realized it or not. I'm going to tell you when you did it. And you did it the moment you sat down. What you did was you expressed faith in a chair. Because the object of your faith, how many of you have sat down more than 10 times in your life? You've probably sat down hundreds of thousands of times. And and very rarely, unless it's one of those old uh, picnicking chairs that everybody doesn't know if they're going to collapse or survive, But very rarely would you think to yourself, I wonder if this chair is going to support me. You just sit down. 
Because it's demonstrated its faithfulness. You understand? The object of your faith, the chair, has said, I can support you. And I've done it for many, many times. And that's true of our life with God. See, in the kingdom of God, it's uh, God's tr truthfulness and trustworthiness is what you put your faith into. He's the object of your faith. And faith forward living means I'm going to put my faith in what God says to be true, and I'm going to live my life in that understanding and perspective. And that's very good. So God himself becomes the foundation of our trust and our confidence. Here's where we move forward now. Truth is a big deal when it comes to faith and trust because if we're placing our faith upon a faulty foundation, we are destined for a big crash. Truth is critical. <laughs> so, uh, as most of you know, my wife is from Newfoundland. I love going to Newfoundland for lots of reasons, to visit her family. No, actually, to fish is really the main reason I love to go. <laughs> and if, if they're... If they come fishing, then I love to visit with them. But anyway, uh, I love Newfoundland. But one of the things in Newfoundland is the Geo Center, and the Geo Center is in St. John's. And uh, there's this display there uh, on the Titanic, and it's absolutely fascinating. So I spent probably two hours reading the story of the Titanic because, it, as you know, it sank 350 miles off the coast of Newfoundland. So the Titanic story, this is one of the, the taglines as you enter into this story on the Titanic. The Titanic story offers a complete account of the greed, arrogance, and bad judgment that led to the greatest peacetime tragedy of the 20th century. Wow. Greed was interesting because the Titanic was built like every, every other ship. It had, uh, you know, it had chambers, and, and in between each one of those chambers, they would build a wall to separate the next chamber. But because they wanted to save money, they didn't build the chamber right from floor to ceiling. They actually only built it halfway. And if they had built it all the way, the Titanic would have never sank because it would have just filled one chamber and it would have been able to stay afloat. But what happened is it filled the one chamber because it was tilted, lilting or listing this way. It filled that chamber. Then it filled the next chamber. Then it filled the next chamber because they skimped out on building it. Interesting, as I'm reading this story. It, you know, it, it's about greed and arrogance. It's about arrogance because they were warned multiple times. Many, many ships uh, through their telegraph were telegraphing all the other ships to not go fast right now because their icebergs were floating uh, very close to the path where all of them would be traveling from England to the United States. And at one point, the radio operator aboard the Titanic, this is recorded, uh, typed back to the rest of the ships that were warning him, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. And they were, they were aiming to get the, the cross-Atlantic time, uh, be the fastest ship across the Atlantic. So they had all three engines wide open, and they were steaming full bore into an ice field, even though they were warned not to do it. Because they built themselves upon a truth that this ship was unsinkable. Unsinkable. See, I find the story of the Titanic extremely fascinating, simply because it speaks to society today, to me, all the time. 
It seems to me that a society is moving along at full speed, living their lives, thinking we don't need God and we certainly don't need God's truth in order to live our lives. We can do whatever we want and how we want and we're saying to God, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. And we're steaming along in our lives. You see, church isn't about giving you a bunch of rules and regulations. It's about a God who wants to come into your life and he wants to live with you and help you to live your life and to set the standard of your life and to set the direction of your life to say, God, I'm going to base my life on your truth because if I put my life upon the foundation of your truth, I will never go wrong and I will never sink. That's what God says. So what are we saying to God? See, God even warns mankind. This is interesting. He warns us as to what happens to us if we refuse his truth. And I'm going to read just a portion, and I've summarized some of it and crammed it together, but you can read it later. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, but this is a very succinct summary. It says, For the witness, the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart, and because they thought it was worthless to embrace the true knowledge of God, God gave them over to worthless mindset to break all the rules of proper conduct. He then goes on and says things like cheap, loveless sex, a reckless accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, hateful jealousy and arguments, rebellious thoughts, heartless thoughts, merciless thoughts, hatred of good, celebration of evil. Is that on our world today? It's interesting to me. The crazy thing is this. God doesn't tell them that to condemn them. He tells them that to save them. He tells them that to rescue them. He's the one saying, be careful, there's icebergs ahead. Wow, truth is important because it's the foundation of what we place our faith upon. But understand something today, church. The truth is on trial. You've heard this before. I swear that the evidence that I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That used to be what you would swear in a courtroom setting, placing your hand on the Bible. But not only has the world turned away from God, we have utterly turned away from truth. I don't think we really realize how much we have turned away from truth as the foundation of what we put our faith into. You know, you've heard the term false news. It's interesting to me because the rhetoric of both sides in the United States in particular, the rhetoric of the the Democrats is false news. The rhetoric of the Republicans is false news. Nobody's saying that's true. It's all false. And so they're spinning this whole idea of truth, which is quite interesting in our society today. Great book. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to read a great book, uh, it's by a guy named Abdu Murray. He's a university professor. He's a radio talk show host. He converted from Islam to Christianity and is now one of the leading Christian apologeticists in the world today. And apologeticist is somebody who defends the faith, tells you why Christian, Christianity is trustworthy, why you should believe it. He wrote a book called Saving Truth, Finding Meaning and Clarity in a Post-Truth World. 
Is that not the most interesting topic you've ever heard in your life? What in the world is post-truth? Well, believe it or not, the reason he wrote this book was because we're living in a post-truth culture. Oxford Dictionary, I've told you this before in the past, Oxford Dictionary picks a word every year uh, that they say celebrates what's happening in the culture of the world and is kind of in the forefront of the thinking of the world. And in 2016, Oxford Dictionary wrote this word called post-truth and picked it as the word of the year. And here's the definition of post-truth. Of relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Let me just read that again. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or personal belief. The facts don't matter. If I can get you to believe my version of the truth, I win the day, even if it's an outright lie. Postmodernism in the 1970s used to say, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. But what's happened with the post-mindset, post-truth mindset, acknowledges that objective truth exists, but it subordinates it to its preferences. <laughs> yeah, I know that's real, and I know that's true, but I don't care. I don't care. I actually want to do what I want to do, therefore I'm putting my version of truth forward, and that's how I'm living my life. Guys, listen to me. I, I, I can't get into it in full detail today, but you know this is true. The creep of post-truth culture is in every part of our culture right now. It is, in, it is in the world, it is in politics, it is in the environment, it is in a, the conduct of what we conform to, it is in our morality, it is in what we believe about, about identity, it is in every aspect of our life today. Every aspect of our life, the creeping post-truth is coming in like a storm. It's unbelievable how we're seeing this rise up today. I'm going to read to you just one section of uh, Abdu Murray's book. Listen to this. You can read this yourself, pick up the book. In January 2016, just as the post-truth year began, Adam Hoffman reported the surprising results of several studies that concluded the findings of certain sciences are difficult to reproduce. One study asserted the findings of fewer than half of the psychological studies printed in prestigious journals could be reproduced today. Stanford University's John Ioannidis went as far to say this in many scientific disciplines, it can be proven that most claimed research findings are false. Now, why is that significant? Do you have any idea how governments today are shaping their decisions upon scientific research? Because science is supposed to be the thing that we worship as truth. And so the scientific method that was invented by Isaac Newton, who was a devout Christian, the scientific method is supposed to be that you have a hypothesis, you believe something, and then you, you create uh, different things that help you to test whether that's true. And then those tests have to be repeatable to say that the tests were accurate. You understand? That's the scientific method. I'm summarizing. There are seven steps to it, but th that's simple. You understand? You have to be able to say, this is true and I can replicate what I've proven in order to show that this is true. 
But now when you take in the data and you're saying, I'm going to erase this data and put my data in, how many of you know that creates some problems? How true is this? Well, just, just came out four days ago on July 4th. Listen to this. 90 leading Italian scientists signed a document that the CO2 impact on the climate is unjustifiably exaggerated and catastrophic predictions are not realistic. That was just released on July 4th. Have you heard that in the news? No. Will you hear that in the news? You won't. 90 leading Italian scientists are saying, this is crazy, it's not true. Wow. I told you a few weeks ago that the ICEF, I think it's called, or ICCEF, which is the uh, climate change uh, organization that organized itself to influence and to represent the United Nations. The head of that department about last year came out and basically said, he's the ex-head, he said, we were changing data all over the place in order to make our hypotheses come true. He reported that. Was it in the news? No. See, here's where we're at today, guys. Post-truth is not just a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a moral issue. See, we no longer celebrate objective truth, but now it's in subjective truth. We're into subjective truth. This is what mankind is saying now as they stand on the witness stand. My truth is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Forget you, God. Wow. This is not new, by the way. This is from the days of Adam and Eve. You know, the enemy, who's a liar, the Bible says, he's the father of lies. Everything he does is a lie. He sows lies. That's what he does. That's how he lives. Okay? So Adam and Eve get appeal, this appeal. God says to them, here's the truth. Don't eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden because if you eat it, you will die. You can eat any other fruit of any other tree. You can do whatever else you want. Just don't eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. So where do they go and hang out? By the tree in the middle of the garden. (laughs) And of course, the enemy gets them to test, to, to, to look at two different things. Number one, he says, God's telling you a lie. God's word can't be trusted and his character can't be trusted. Because he says to Eve, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat it, you will become like him. Now there's an interesting word called autonomy. Autonomos is the two Latin words, which means self-governed or self-law. So we are autonomous people, do you understand? And we subject ourselves either to the law of God or we subject ourselves to our own laws. (laughs) It's your choice. So at that moment, it's interesting because the Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom, that it was pleasing to the eye, and that it was good for food, so she took some and she ate it. And the word saw in the original language, in the Hebrew language, means this. She advised self. She took her advice over God's advice. Now, I'm not blaming Eve for the fall of man. Adam actually is way worse because the command came to Adam and he stood there and watched her eat it. 
dude, if she dies, I've got other ribs. Like, I don't, you know, what was he thinking? I don't know what else he could have been thinking. Like, start do over. Oops, you were right, God. <laughs> so fast forward. One of Jesus' great sayings in the New Testament was this. He said it 22 times in the Gospels. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Now, that's not saying that what he said before was a lie. What it's saying is, pay attention. Because <laughs> I'm about to tell you something that's really important. I tell you the truth. So let me tell you some of those times he said it. Ultimately, he was put on trial for telling the truth. And here's the start of it. John 18, 23, Jesus is speaking. He said, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Remember, the high priest servant reaches out and strikes Jesus for telling the truth. And he just kind of answers back, like, why did you hit me? I told you the truth. Dang. How many of you know when you don't want to hear what a messenger has to say, you're going to reach out and take him down? Even if it is truth. So the Roman ruler, Pontius Pilate, they bring Jesus before him, and Pontius Pilate, recognizing what's going on, listen to what he says to Jesus. It is your own people and your religious leaders that have handed you over to me. So tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? What have you done? It's your fault. Jesus' answer is amazing. He says, you are right. I was born a king, and I have come to this world to prove what truth really is. And everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. Pilate answers with the infamous statement, what is truth? In other words, truth is subjective. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There's no such thing as truth. What's true for me may not be true for you. But Jesus doesn't let it down that point. Guys, I want you to understand, Jesus actually says, nope, sorry. Not only does he tell the truth, he actually makes a statement that makes this even more unbelievable because it's not just truth on trial. Jesus is on trial. Because he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to God, my Father, except through me. That's it. Drop mic. Walk away. Deal with it. Because he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. You choose. Remember, you're the judge. He's saying, I brought the kingdom of truth into a world of autonomous people who feel that they have the truth in themselves and they do not need my advice. And they live their lives that way. But it's going to destroy them. See, we move to kill the messenger, but the messenger is just coming because he loves us. He loves us, that's it. It's his only motive. How can we trust Jesus? How can we trust him? You see, ultimately, Jesus is on trial. And remember our story about the Titanic. The builders believed that the ship was unsinkable. That's the truth they put forward. And, and almost uh, 2,200 souls got aboard that ship that day. And uh, they believed that the thing was unsinkable. <laughs> That's what they believed. 
And, and how many of you know 1,500 of them or more found out it was not true? Only 507 were saved of the over 2,000 people that were on that ship. It's amazing. But Jesus, the truth incarnate, is speaking. And what's his agenda? You see, unlike post-truth, our culture today, that's manipulating the facts, changing truth, you know, with their agenda to control politics, the environment, morality, everything else, Jesus only wants what's best for you. That's it. That's what he wants. Let me prove it to you. Because you can't prove it any more than Jesus ever did. Okay? It's impossible. Because he actually laid down his life for what he was saying. Let's just read it together. John chapter 3, you don't have to read it, I'll read it, you can listen. (laughs) For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and to rescue it. Wow. There's no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him, but the unbeliever already lives in condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. And here is the basis of their judgment. The light of God has come into the world, but our hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light, try to hide from it, for their lives are fully exposed by the light But those who love the truth will come into the light and welcome its exposure. Why would I welcome the exposure in my life of things that I've done wrong? Because Jesus, I'm convinced, does not come to condemn me, but to set me free. That's it. Whatever he shows me, I have to say, yes, sir. I agree. You're right, Lord. Even if I want to argue with him. See, the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't just push truth to condemn us, but to try and save us. Let me give you another analogy, and we're going to close very soon. Blaise Pascal, the brilliant mathematician, physicist, and Catholic theologian, uses this analogy, which may help. He says, when everything is moving at once, nothing appears to be moving as on board a ship. So if you're on a ship and you can't see the shoreline and the ship's motor goes out and the ship starts to drift, you're actually not going to know it because you're all on board the ship. (laughs) There's no fixed point of reference. You know, if you're heading toward Niagara Falls, you won't know it because it's just drifting along and everybody's moving with you. But this is what happens. But if someone stops, he shows up the others who are rushing on by acting as a fixed point. Guys, listen to me. Post-truth is trying to erase not only truth, but it's trying to erase the shoreline. (laughs) So there's no point of reference anymore. It doesn't matter. We're just going to erase the shoreline. So not only is the ship moving, not only is the water moving, the shore is moving. (laughs) There's no fixed point anymore. 
I can't look at something and say, I, I can trust this. It's showing me what's true. I want you to understand is that as that boat drifts by, I want you to understand what happens. Jesus wades out into the water of humanity and he stands there and we see him when we go by and he becomes a fixed point of reference. We're like, oh my God, I'm drifting off course. And we have two choices. In that moment, we judge and we say, Shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm busy here. Or we take his hand. We say, get me off this boat. Get me off this boat, God. We're adrift and we're oblivious and Jesus is standing there and he's calling to us and you have a choice. Here's your two choices. Number one, we can choose to curse the messenger and hide from the light. Or we can choose to take his hand and live our lives upon a foundation of the truth of his words and the person of God. It's your choice. What's your verdict? <laughs> will you join his story today or will you keep drifting along? Now, this applies not only for people who don't know Jesus, but let me tell you something, believers. It applies to you. You have to make a choice. Am I going to live my life with my eyes focused on the truth of the Word of God in every area of my life? Or do you select what you like about what Jesus says? Jesus loves me and forgives me, but I don't want him to be the Lord of my mm, sexuality. Jesus loves and forgives me, but I don't want him to be the Lord of my mm, money. Jesus loves and forgives me, and I just love that about him, but I don't want him to be the Lord of my time. Stop lying now. It's not going to do you any good. You're drifting by. God's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. And he's saying, what are you going to do? It's time for the church to get off the boat of the world and to be on the kingdom ship of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to have communion in just a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back. What are you building your life upon, church? Jesus, the truth incarnate, is standing on the shoreline. We're drifting by. The amazing thing about him is we think... He's trying to condemn us, but he's not. He's just warning us. You've heard me use the analogy before. You know, he's standing at the top of a cliff holding a sign saying, be careful, the bridge is out. And we drive off the cliff at the whole time cursing God. But you know what's amazing about God? He actually builds a hospital at the bottom of the cliff because he knows half of you are going to drive off it. That's how good God is. <laughs> Amen. So stop driving your life off the cliff. Turn to God. Trust in God. What song did I tell you to sing, Rick? I can't remember. King of my heart. What's we're going to do? King of my heart. That's a good one. It's a gooder. So this bread that you're going to partake of, if you're a believer, if you've asked Jesus into your life, what is this weird thing we're about to do? It's called communion. 
and it's common union. There's gluten-free over there. Gluten-free Jesus is over there. And the rest of us can take Jesus in full form. <laughs> Just kidding. For you gluten-free people, I'm not trying to judge anything. You're all good. You don't, don't send me emails. I'm not going to respond. It's all good. <laughs> oh, Lord. See, the things I say at the end, I was doing so good. Yeah, thank you. See, the bread represents, listen, church, his body was broken for you. It was one whole body, Jesus. And he came to earth and he broke his body so you could become part of his body. That's what it means to invite Jesus into your heart that Margot was talking about at the beginning of the service. I need to take a piece of Jesus because a piece of Greg is not enough to get me in. Amen? And the blood represents Jesus dying for us, shedding his blood to erase and eradicate our sin, to pay the price for it. Do you understand something? I've said this before, but you know, God does not forgive sin. I pause for effect. He forgives sinners because sin has been judged in Jesus. Jesus paid the price so you could be forgiven. That's what you're celebrating. And that's what you're building your life upon. And that's what communion is. It's saying, God, I, I need to come back. And every time I take communion, you know, there's part of me, if I can be honest, there's part of Greg Fraser. Every time I take communion, I have to say, oh God, you know what? I'm living autonomously in this area. I'm not letting you rule my life, Lord, there. And I can see it and I know it. And would you forgive me and help me to live for you? And then I take communion and say, thank you, Lord. Amen. And so it is with you too. As you take today, let the Holy Spirit, first of all, just wash over you. Father God, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your church. Holy Spirit, let us go in the confidence that we are building our life upon a firm foundation. That though the waters would tremble and shake though the earth would tremble and shake the kingdom of God cannot be shaken hallelujah Lord it is a firm foundation we build our lives upon because it's you and we say thank you thank you thank you we give you the praise and we give you the honor in Jesus name amen